0: lot
1: Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here. Welcome to another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child, our first of 2021. And boy, don't all of us have high expectations for 2021, but it's a pretty low bar. Not going to be that hard for 2021 to go better than 2020, a year that we are glad to have behind us. Um, The call-in number is uh, 347 994-2981. I'm expecting that Kim Hopkins Betts, our Director of Outreach at Lives in the Balance, and uh, Stella and Jennifer will be joining us, although they are not yet on the air with us. Um, What I want to start with, I know we have a caller from area code 281 uh, standing by, but um, What I want to start with is to call our listeners' attention to um, uh, the Parenting During the Pandemic Survey, which uh, Lives in the Balance recently completed and has since posted on the Lives in the Balance website. Kim, welcome to the program. How are you?
2: Hi, good. Sorry, had a little
1: TV snafu with my five-year-old. <laughs> no worries. Um, and I think we now have Jennifer as well. Let me see. Jennifer, is that you?
0: That is me.
1: <laughs> right. Hello and so happy new year. For, uh, same to you. I was. I began by letting people know that it's not going to be that hard for 2021 to be better than 2020 because it's a very low bar. <laughs> Um, so fingers crossed on that Um, but uh, what I also was beginning to talk about was the recently released Lives in the Balance parenting during the pandemic survey which is now on the Lives in the Balance website Um, and uh, goodness we learned a lot about just how difficult it is out there for so many parents it's not that every parent is suffering. Some parents told us that their relationship with their children has actually improved during the pandemic. But um, Mm -hmm. I would say that um, the lion's share of what we heard tells us, and of course we knew this already, but now we have it in a much more specific way, that parents and kids are really hurting out there. The pandemic has been very, very difficult for many, many families. Um, but particularly difficult if you have a child with behavioral difficulties in your household. Uh, And I'm not sure that I would say that that is surprising, given that (laughs) parents of kids with behavioral challenges tend to have it more difficult even when there's not a pandemic. But now there is a pandemic. And especially for parents of kids with behavioral challenges, Things are really difficult out there. And I just wanted to review some of the findings. These are uh, easily found on the Lives in the Balance website. Just go to the homepage, uh, livesinthebalance.org. Among the things that we're finding that um, parents are concerned about, uh, parents of behaviorally challenging kids are telling us 65% 65% of them are telling us that their child has become more challenging during the pandemic, as compared to 38% of parents who do not have a behaviorally challenging child in the household. 56% are telling us that their child has regressed emotionally, compared to 35% of parents who do not have a child with behavioral challenges in their household. Um, has become more withdrawn. 49% of parents with a child with behavioral challenges are telling us that that is true. 32% of parents who do not have a child with behavioral challenges has regressed educationally, very similar, um, has gained more confidence in his or her own abilities There it's flip-flop, 47% of parents who do not have a child with behavioral challenges in their household say that's true. Only 32% of those with a child with behavioral challenges in their household has become more physically challenging with me or others. 44% compared to 14%. Mm. These are um, important findings. But here's some more about what parents are going through and then I'll just leave it to people to look at the survey results on the website. The stress I experience as a parent has increased. 84% of parents of kids with behavioral challenges are saying that's true compared to 71% of parents who do not have a child with behavioral challenges. I have felt more anxious and or depressed, very similar. I have felt greater burnout As a parent, 78% of parents who have a child with behavioral challenges in their household are telling us that's true compared to 57% of those who don't. Um, I have felt more alone, very similar. There has been more family conflict, 57% compared to 33%. I am less patient with my kids. I believe my child's behavior has deteriorated. But as striking as these data are, some of the things parents are telling us when they are writing responses in the parenting during the pandemic survey are even more poignant. This sounds terrible, but I'm not sure I would have had children if I had known parenting was this challenging. Um, my kids are sick of each other and I'm sick of the constant fighting with each other and fighting over me. Nothing I try seems to help. I don't know how to help my child deal with all of these big emotions and get all of her anger out in a more productive way. Uh, And finally, my kids are getting ready to apply to colleges and their grades have tanked this year due to the virtual learning environment and other emotional health demands of the pandemic. It has left them feeling very discouraged about their future. I said finally, but here's one more. I feel for the teachers, but I am helping do part of their job, and no one is helping me do my other full-time job. I feel like I have taken on everything. I am exhausted, low on patience, and close to burning out completely. So if people want to hear more, learn more about our results, Um, get on the Lives in the Balance website. I think this is very important information, number one, to help parents recognize that they are not alone in how they're feeling, but number two, in helping our leaders and our schools be even more aware of what parents need to make it through these extremely difficult times, but especially if they have a child with behavioral challenges. Um, Jennifer and Kim, I'm betting that you have comments. We do have a caller, but let's get through this, and then we'll take our (laughs) call. It's
0: heavy. (sighs) It's hard to hear all of those things, but not at all surprising. Um, I had a conversation with my son this morning about being angry and frustrated and worried that he's having a really hard time getting onto his um, remote classes and is instead sleeping through many of them and then looking to stay up all night. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) we're, we're, Currently dealing with that here, in other ways, things have gotten much easier, but in that way, things have gotten much harder. So mm-hmm. it's everywhere, I think.:
1: And I know that you are not laughing because you think it's funny, just to make sure people no. know. Um,
0: <laughs> not at all.
1: <laughs> um, you're laughing, I suppose. Well, tell us tell us what is making you laugh.
0: I'm laughing so I don't cry. <laughs> that's that's how that's pretty much how I entered into 2021, laughing so I don't cry.
3: <laughs>
0: Cuz things have been really hard and there's not there's not an easy or a simple fix. Right. So Anyway, I just am am empathetic with all of the parents whose responses you read because we're living it here too. And sometimes just knowing that other people are experiencing the same kind of difficulties and frustrations is a good thing. I've often said that parenting a kid who has this many challenges and this kind of challenge or these kinds of challenges, um, is a very lonely process. And many of us don't have people in real life that we feel like understand what's going on. I'm very lucky that I have a real-life circle of people who get it, uh, as well as an online support circle. But for a lot of us, our people that we've connected with online are the only people that we have who understand. And it can be a very lonely feeling. And the pandemic has only magnified that for a lot of parents.
1: You know, what you're saying now reminds me of what a surprising, not surprising, but surprising in another way, um, a lot of parents, when I first meet with them in a clinical setting, tell me that they are, I'm the first person who has believed them when they have <laughs> told me about their child's behavior and the things that they've been struggling with. And I'm always struck by that. I, I can't say that I'm surprised by it, but it's disappointing that I'm the first person who's believed them. And why that? what, what reminds me about that is what you were saying, and that is that you have some supports around you. But I guess what I want to say about that is when parents tell us, no matter who we are, clergy, educators, friends, that they are really struggling during this time and even not during this time, believe them. Take them seriously. They're not making it up. Kim, any thoughts?
2: (laughs) You just reminded me that um, just before the holidays I um, did a family session on Zoom, and one of the goals, there were others, but one of the goals of the parents, this was with the parents and their extended family, who's, they're very close, but was to, like, convince the extended family that the parents are actually setting limits and are actually trying (laughs) because the extended family was doubting that based on, like the kids' behavior and their response to the kids' behavior and everything, even though it's interesting, they have another child who meets expectations, but somehow there was some doubt swirling as to how hard they were really trying with their challenging kids. So um, in the end, it went very well, but I agree.
1: Believe them. <laughs> Believe them. Okay. So for, if people want to learn more about the survey – um, the results are posted on the Lives in the Balance website once again. And um, once again, hopefully it will help people feel that they are not alone. Hopefully, even though a lot of what we're hearing from people is sad and poignant, um, it will probably resonate with a lot of people. And hopefully with um, people who are in a position to reach out to parents who are struggling once again, believe them. But we're now going to turn to our caller, area code 281. You are on the air. Um, how are you doing today? I'm good. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Don't um, use any names or I identifying have, information, okay. but go ahead.
4: All right. I have a 15-year-old son. He explodes and implodes. And my husband and I are fairly new to your model, but we've been studying it really a lot. <laughs> and I did try a plan B with him and it wasn't successful, but I mean it was my first one and you know I did learn a lot on how to do it and everything. So, um we've gone through the ALP and we've got our list of unsolved problems. Um just getting a little tangled up a bit, I guess, in some of the implementation. Um and I can give you an example. Uh, like when our adult concern seems like it's a solution and trying to avoid imposing solutions. So take, for example, one of his um, unsolved problems is difficulty taking a shower. And we originally had every day in that as our expectation, but is including the everyday part part of the solution or is it just a starting point and we should just be flexible when we get to the invitation step.
1: Great question, and the first thing I would say is even though you feel that your first plan B wasn't successful, the mere fact that you did your first plan B means that you were successful. Um, our, we have a fairly loose definition of success. Obviously, the ultimate definition of success is that the problem is solved and no longer causing concerning behaviors. That's the ultimate, but you did it, and that's a success, yeah. so let's not... Um, Let's not sell you short here. You've been successful already. If it is your expectation that your son take a shower every day, that's your expectation, not a solution. That's your expectation. Good? Yes. If that's not your expectation, I would not put every day, but I would put how often you do expect your son to take a shower. We have many parents who don't expect that a child uh, take a shower or bath daily. And, um, you know, I always tell people, not my job to tell you what your expectation on that should be. Um, it's <laughs> your job to decide what your expectation is and my job to help you figure that out. Uh, so you get to decide, but, but let's not do plan B until you know what your expectation is. So let me throw it out there. Is it your expectation that your son take a shower or a bath every day. I
4: would just be happy with more frequently than he's currently doing.
1: <laughs> I like this, but how frequently do you want how how frequently is more frequently than he's currently doing?
4: I mean, I would think
1: every other day would probably I would be comfortable with. Got it. That's your expectation. Now, you've solved nothing yet. All you've done so far is decide what your expectation is. And as you know, because you've been studying it, the empathy step of plan B is going to start with an introduction, and it would sound like this. I've noticed you've been having difficulty taking a shower at least every other day. What's up? Now, what you end up on, what you decide the solution is in collaboration with your son That's between you and your son, and a lot of it is going to depend on what you hear from your son in the empathy step about what's making it hard for him to meet that expectation. But here's what I'm – so any other questions about the wording of unsolved problems? What I'd like to hear, though, especially, is what did you do that first plan B on, and how come you think it wasn't successful?
4: So the our, the first one was on going to the dentist, which um, is normally not an issue for him, but um, he's he's an avoider and he's avoiding more and more and more things. And so when his dentist appointment, which the last one was I think in the summer, he did go to, well, whenever six months ago, it might have been right at the start of everything shutting down, um, and so. I was thinking he would go, but because he'd been avoiding, I was trying to preemptively plan B it. And, um, and so we talked about it and, um, you know, cause he wasn't, he was he's not going anywhere at this point. And so I was thinking I would probably have trouble getting him to go. And so I was able to get some reasons out of him and, um, it was scheduled on his last day of school, which he's doing an online school and he wanted the time to be able to turn things in. And, um, and he also doesn't like leaving the house. And so that was another concern of his. And, um, and he doesn't like when they talk to him when he's at the dentist, he's um, got a lot of social anxiety. And so, um, Mm -hmm. he doesn't like that either. Um, Mm -hmm. so, we um we talked about my concerns about you know normal concern about going to the dentist and then um when we got to the invitation step his solution that he proposes was just to cancel the appointment <laughs> but you know i <laughs> did um tell him that that was a solution but <laughs> doesn't really meet my concerns and um anyways we went back and forth and he we he ended up agreeing that he could go if it wasn't um if it was during the break when it wasn't Um, during school but when the actual appointment came he wasn't able to go
1: got it well I would say that you were extremely successful but have a solution that didn't work but in terms of gathering information from your son in the empathy step you get an A plus in terms of creating a process in which um, your respective concerns were heard and in which you tried to come up with a solution that addressed both of those concerns, you get an A plus. Um, a plus is very successful, by the way. I'm, and I'm, I'm not an easy grader, but you get an A plus on both of those counts. <laughs> Great. You never know if a solution is going to work though till you get there. And now you, you are basically in the boat of having a solution that didn't work. So you are no longer doing an what we might call an anticipatory plan B, um, in anticipation of the dentist appointment. You are and by the way, I like your solution. Uh, by the way, his concerns are concerns that sound very addressable. So so far, so good, right? It's just that you have yes. a solution that didn't pan out, and that's not that unusual. But now you're no longer in anticipatory plan B. You are in our solution didn't work plan B, and we've got to go back to the drawing board. But in terms of technically, based on what you're telling us, you actually did extremely well. You just have a solution that didn't work. Now, for many people, that sounds like a very big deal, I'm just letting you know that's not that unusual to have a first solution, not work. But now we've got to go back to plan B. But here's what I'm curious about. Let me get into the weeds just a little bit more. He <laughs> had three concerns. One was, and I'm, I don't know if I'm going to remember all three here. One was that, uh, oh, I can remember all three. This is a miracle. He didn't want to... Um, Go. He wanted to make sure that he had time to get his assignments in. He didn't want to go outside on general principles. And now I have forgotten the third. Um, Talking to the the dental people. He didn't want them talking to him. Um, Did you try to address all three with the solution or just one of the three?
4: I... When we talked about solutions, I was kind of trying to address all three, but I think because he agreed that once we when we came up with the solution to to change the appointment to during the break, um, that he agreed he could go. That I thought right. you know he would, yeah. I mean maybe it was a little wishful thinking.
2: That
1: <laughs> so yeah, well, I didn't. Well, here's the deal, and this is just a really this this is an important pointer. What you wanna do before you enter the invitation, the third step where you are thinking of a potential solution is decide which of his concerns you're gonna try to address in this plan B and which in a subsequent plan B, but it's his call. So you're gonna be asking him, which of your concerns do you think is getting in the way the most or which of your concerns do you think is most important? Then he picks, right? So I don't think that was catastrophic But here's the deal. One of his concerns would have been addressed by that solution, but two of them would not have been addressed by that solution. He may still have been anticipating people talking to him at the dentist, or, and I would want more detail on this, by the way, he still would have had to go outside to go to the dentist. And so even though you changed the schedule, and I think that was a great solution, by the way, Some of his other concerns would not have been addressed by that solution. So you have lots of grist for the plan B mill when you go back to figure out how come that solution didn't work. But in terms of you being successful, I would call what you did an absolutely smashing success. It's just that the problem isn't solved yet, and that is the ultimate definition of success but good for you for giving it a go your first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. If I was going to do I the did the have another question. Go ahead. but yeah. let, let, let me just tell you when you go back and do the intro next this next time. Um, I noticed that our solution to the difficulty going to the dentist didn't work very well. Let's talk about that some more because um, I want to understand that better. And I know that there were some concerns that you had about going to the dentist that our first solution would not have addressed. Let's talk about that some more so that we can come up with a solution that you feel you can do. That's what the introduction would sound like. Good? Great. Yeah. What's your second question?
4: Um, my second question is that Uh, In an old podcast, because I've been going back and listening to as many as I can, um, you were talking to a parent and um, mentioned that the child automatically saying no to everything would be another unsolved problem. And this definitely describes my son as well, And because like I said, his go-to solution is avoidance. And I was just wondering if you could maybe go into more detail about how you would go about plan being that type of unsolved problems. It seems really global.
1: Well, here's the interesting thing. I usually refer to saying no to everything as reflexive negativity. Sometimes that does become another unsolved problem. And what that often sounds like, but I usually talk about that in the context of a kid being, uh, having difficulty participating in Plan B in general. And then it becomes, I've noticed you've been having difficulty talking with me about problems, what's up? Um, Here's what saying no. When you're saying that your son is avoiding as his primary solution, here's what I think your son is saying. uh, Avoidance is a solution, but I want to move beyond avoidance because avoidance is just the way your son is communicating. I'm having difficulty meeting that expectation. Because I'm having difficulty meeting that expectation, I'm going to avoid meeting that expectation. So that's, you know, I'd rather have him, to be, to be perfectly honest with you, I'd rather have him be an avoider than be a hitter or a swearer or a destroyer. I'll take avoiding, right? But that's all avoiding well, we, it, we were in those phases before. Good that you are past those days, um, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but, Um, that's all avoiding means to me. It, like hitting and screaming and swearing and destroying, says that's an expectation I'm having difficulty meeting. There's something getting in the way of me meeting that expectation. I'm going to continue avoiding it until the problem is solved, until my difficulties are (laughs) well understood and well addressed. That's what your son is saying. If he's having difficulty participating in plant, so often no is just reflexive, but no is another behavior that says I'm having difficulty meeting that expectation. So um, generally speaking, I would recommend that you work on the expectation that he's saying no to rather than the word no itself. Does that make sense?
3: Yes, it does.
1: Now we have three other people on the call. Stella has joined us. Stella, welcome.
3: Thank you. Happy
1: New Year. To you. We uh, who, who I think we should have weigh in here, Mom. You, you may get more help than you bargained for here, but here goes. Um who 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 helps wants to weigh in to help this mom out.
2: I had another one on the nose. Go ahead,
1: Kim. Yep. Um,
2: I don't know if this describes your son at all, but sometimes kids say no or a version of it, you know, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it over and over again because they're actually having trouble telling you what their concerns are. So I don't know um, how skillful he is at communicating his thoughts, needs, and concerns and words. Um, but sometimes kids are having trouble with that. Even if they tend to have a really good grasp of language, they might not have the words they need to tell you. And so sometimes taking some guesses, and we talk about the five-finger method a lot on here, where kids can rate your guesses, um, how good they are, how close you are, sometimes that can bust through that as well, um, because then they're actually telling you, you know, what they're actually worried about and not just putting up this wall. Um, Dr. Green has called it running into the solution of I'm just not going to, right, or
3: I'm, you know, so for what that's worth.
4: Yeah. Yes, definitely.
3: That was going to be my comment too, Kim. Is the, when I run into the reflective no or um, I don't know, <laughs> um, the five-finger method for my son was the way in. So, and for him, it's actually thumbs up, thumbs down, for it's thumbs up for yes, thumbs down for no, and thumbs sideways if it's like maybe or not applicable. <laughs> And then we would we would kind of break the barrier of conversation that way, got it
1: Bella I mean, um, Jennifer
0: um, the only other thing that I would add uh when you were talking about your um unsolved problem with showering is that I was thinking that. When you said, you know, your your station would be that he do it more than he's doing it now. Um, one of the things that I struggled with a lot in the very beginning of using CPS in our house, using Plan B, was that I jumped in before I'd really thought it through. And part of the process of thinking it through involved not only identifying what the unsolved problem was, but also really figuring out what my concerns were. Because that helped me really define a reasonable expectation. You know, if, if your concerns point to you know, showering when the person standing across the room from you can smell you, <laughs> then that's going to be a different, a different expectation than if the concern is that I'm sitting next to you and you're leaning your head on my shoulder and I can smell you. Um, and I'm laughing internally because I've had to identify these particular concerns myself in our house around the <laughs> same, same issue. <laughs> um, so, so, and and I will tell you that the solution that we came up with to this very same problem, which works for us because of, our particular concerns and our expectation is that if someone says to him because they can smell him, hey, but it's time to take a shower, that then it's time for him to take a shower. And he's able to meet that expectation. Whereas if we put it on a specific timeline, he would say, well, what's the point? If, you know, he – it, it didn't meet. It didn't putting it on a specific timeline didn't really meet our concerns. But I didn't realize that until I really figured out what my concerns were, and that oftentimes, and that's just one example. But anytime I go into a conversation, a Plan B conversation with him or with anybody else, because once you once you become successful with one person in your life, you find yourself Plan Bing everybody. Um, is that I always have to stop and really think through what are my concerns here before I start the conversation because then it goes much more smoothly. Yes.
3: I would add to that, Jennifer, that's great. And I would add that when you identify your concern, it also helps to be able to put it through the filter of, is this a concern that my kid can do something to work towards meeting? Does that make sense? So sometimes I found myself having concerns, and then I thought, oh, my gosh, my kid's not going to be able to really understand what that concern is, and I had to filter it down so that I knew that it would make sense to him.
1: Yeah. Mom, there in area code 281, (laughs) any other questions? No, thank you so much. (laughs) Our pleasure. And you know what? If you feel like calling in next month, let us know what happens next. I just might. Thanks so much. (laughs) Fabulous. Take Take care. care. Bye-bye. Well... Between the parenting during the pandemic survey and our efforts to help that mom, we only have nine minutes left. So I'm going (laughs) to um, go with uh, somebody who badly wanted us to uh, answer one of their email questions. Um, And let's see how we do here. This one says, this is a dad, we bought two copies of The Explosive Child, one for each of us parents, and wholeheartedly agree that our 14-year-old daughter is lacking in many skill areas. But CPS and Plan B don't work because she refuses to talk with us about her behavior. How can we collaborate and work (laughs) together to find solutions if she won't cooperate? She is verbally and physically abusive to us and the siblings and ransacked various rooms in the house several times. After another tantrum episode this evening where we were left again to pick up the pieces and salve our own and our other children's emotional scars, we again feel hopeless, hopelessness and despair, and we don't know what to do. Um, Dad, we're going to help you out here. But I'm not going to go first here. I'm going to uh, defer... To Kim and Stella and Jennifer, let's start helping this dad. Who wants to jump in?
2: I can definitely get the ball rolling, if if we would like. (laughs) Um, So um, first off, it sounds like she signals that she's having a hard time meeting expectations in some really big, difficult ways for parents and siblings, um, and I just want to validate that. Um, she's kind of, we she, we would call her heading towards the more unlucky end of the spectrum of all the different ways that kids show that they're having difficulty. Um, so I know that those are some very big ways that, that, that the family <laughs> is dealing with. Um, I wouldn't give up on the model. Um, the model, there, there's a lot of, precision, really, in the language, um, particularly with a kid who uh, might not be super convinced that they want to participate in this um, process. They might not really understand it yet or understand that they're going to benefit from it yet, right? And so we're kind of precise about language to try to get, get you off on the best foot possible, um, so one thing that I know Dr. Green emphasized when he read the email and that I picked up on was she refuses to talk <laughs> about her behavior.
3: And
2: um I bet she would because when we talk to kids about behavior, they think plan A is coming because that's what plan A is. We're talking to kids about their behavior, why they do the thing they did. Um that kind of thing and a lot of traditional models are focused on how often is the behavior happening and how big is the behavior and how long does it last and is there a target of the behavior all that right Um, so the important thing about the model is we're not talking to her about her behavior um, which right there is going to help to take the kind of fight out of it right Um, we're not going to talk to her about what she did which i know is really hard when she's ransacking your home and upsetting siblings and things like that rest assured that when you roll things back and we call it going upstream so behavior is when she's in the water we got to go upstream and figure out what pushed her in we're going to find unsolved problems floral probably for her up there and we work on one at a time we don't have to talk to her about what she looks like in the water she knows what she's doing she knows she shouldn't be doing the things she's doing We don't have to waste our time there, and we're going to upset her if we do and push her farther away. So we want to talk to her about what pushed her in in the first place. You know, what happened before the ransacking? You know, was she having difficulty getting along with her brother when they were playing Monopoly? Or difficulty when brother said, ha-ha, I'm winning, when they were playing Monopoly? Whatever you might know about it, that's what you actually want to talk to her about, not mentioning anything about her signals that it didn't go well. In other words, not mentioning anything about the ransacking or the other behavior she demonstrates, which I know is hard, but rest assured, when you solve those unsolved problems that are upstream, you're going to prevent that behavior from happening. And that's the goal. Um, it also sounds like she's going to need to know a little bit about how it is you're changing your parenting style, because if she's had plan A in the past and at age 14, she probably has, right, at home, at school, you know, various from various adults. She might have gotten the the impression that that's all adults do, that they do plan A, which means they're sort of against me. All they, you know, adults stand between me and the things I like to do because they take things away from me. Um, it might be good to kind of talk with her about how you're trying to see her through different lenses, that she lacks skills, that so she's not able to solve problems and that your role is to help her figure out what those unsolved problems are and get them solved. And by doing that, she'll learn what she needs to learn, and things will go better for everybody. Um, But, you know, establishing that partnership is, I think, going to be important to build trust as well. I have more to say, but I'm going to pass it off. (laughs) That's
3: great, Ken. That's exactly what I was hoping would be said. And I think the only thing I would add to that is, and I made a difference for my son when he was a teenager, um, when he was showing me, he was communicating with his behavior, um, ransacking the house, throwing glass bottles out into the streets, et cetera, et cetera. When I would just say, my goodness, you must really be struggling with something that you're having a hard time telling me about. Hmm. Okay, hey, um, we are let you, you and me both think about it and see if we can find words for what's causing this. Um, and that was, you know, um, when he really needed to see that um, I was speaking his language as far as not behavior, it's communication, which is hard to do in the heat of the moment, but
1: it's worth the effort. Outstanding. Um, I think your daughter will talk to you if you're focused on problems, not behaviors. With a lot of the kids that I work with who sometimes feel like the identified patient, and of course, it's not hard to see why they might qualify as the identified patient because they're the ones ransacking the house. Um, But as Kim said, and uh, we're not downplaying this, but as Kim said, that's communication. Even though it's big, even though it's destructive, even though it's scary, even though it's demoralizing, it's big. It's communicating, how your child is communicating. And get to the problems that are causing her to communicate that way. Once those problems are solved... She won't be be communicating about them that way anymore because solved problems don't cause challenging behavior. Only unsolved problems do. But your daughter is no longer the identified patient either. Your family is the identified patient, and you all are working on this together. Let's make her as as undefensive as we can. Um, And feel free to call in or email us again to let us know how things are going. On that note, we've got a call of a day. We are out of time. Bella, Kim, Jennifer, thank you as always. We'll be back again next month with another Parenting Your Challenging child.